Good morning. This is Pastor Todd. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. This week, I am sharing a message for the church. I trust the Lord uses it to encourage and build you up. And here is this week's message. Lord, bless Todd, Father God, as he brings the word of God to our our ears and may have a place in our hearts that we're not just hearers, but we're believers in Jesus' name. Amen. So, full confession, I totally forgot that this was the first Sunday of the month and that we have prophecy on Sundays. So I'll try to abbreviate the message so we have time for that. (laughs) All right, so... um, we're continuing a series on 2 Corinthians. Um, at the beginning of this year, we were praying, and we came in agreement that like, there's a lot of spiritual activity happening um, in our world today. And so we really wanted to get some focus, get some scripture reading that deals with interacting in the spiritual arena. And one of the best books to do that with is 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> and so... We're continuing our series on that. This is uh, this week. We're doing chapter four. Uh, last week, Byron talked about the importance of knowing who you are and whose you are. To whom do you belong? Uh, so this week, we're going to talk about like some of the consequences surrounding that, like how our identity is defined, and and what the the kind of the fallout or the consequences of that is. So, first, what we're going to do is uh, read through the scripture. I'm a big proponent of like just doing the scripture first because that's that's the life changing stuff. My stuff's just commentary, but the scripture is where the change happens. So we're going to go through first Second uh, Corinthians four, and then from there uh, we'll do a little breakdown. <clears throat> so starting in verse one, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that his all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. 
Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So that's the chapter. So we're going to break that down into uh, three basic things we're going to look at. The first thing we're going to look at is the prevailing problem of shame. Uh, Because a lot of this, a lot of our freedom is wrapped up in the things that we hold shameful and the things that bind us, which cause shame. The second thing we're going to look at is the freedom that comes in the light of the gospel. And the third thing we're going to look at is the trials and difficulties that we face in life versus what Paul calls the weight of glory um, as we uh, are in service to the Lord. So starting up with uh, the the problem of shame. There's a, I don't know if you guys are familiar with, uh, with Bethel, uh, the worship group that came out of uh, Redding, California. Uh, they've got a song which Maggie Skaggs, Molly Skaggs, um, did with them. And what she did was she took an old Appalachian song, Ain't No Grave, Gonna Hold My Body Down, right? Now, I remember the old one, right? Ain't no grave, gonna hold my body down. Ain't no grave. Gonna hold my body down, right? When I hear that trumpet sound, gonna get up out of the ground. Ain't no grave. Gonna hold my body down. <laughs> yeah. How, how many hats do I have to wear? <laughs> so that's the song I remember. So when I, I saw it, I was like, oh, I love this song. Like, uh, and I listened to it, and she totally changed the lyrics. They're still good. But the very first line that she has in that is, shame is a prison. And that's what we're looking at. And, you know, my, my wife's a therapist. She's got her master's degree in clinical psychology. She's not practicing now. She's basically getting her, her field work with the kids and with me because, you know, I need therapizing quite a bit. <laughs> right? So, um, but we, we even, even through her clinical studies, through looking at scripture, you know, because my, my degree is in Bible study and all that fun stuff, um, that there's this element in reality, because, you know, you have theology and it looks like ivory tower, tower theory that doesn't really have a place in theology. Um, but there, there, there are connect points from scripture into life. And one of those is shame gets attached to us in different areas in life. And that shame keeps us bound. For example, we might have, we can work backwards. Say I've got a drinking problem. Somewhere down the line, there is a shame inside of me that is linked to drinking. And because that shame is there, I hold on to that shame, and it keeps me bound going back to it over and over and over. And I do it on the sly. I do it in the secret. Because there's a shame that's, that's hiding there, that's keeping me bound. It could be anything. But that shame keeps us going back to a destructive behavior. <clears throat> so addictions and deceptions come as a way of covering up or ignoring that deep-seated shame inside of us. And so we'll keep going back to that over and over and over. And what that tells us is, okay, when we read the scriptures, it lays out pretty good, like, how to live a good life. 
how to live a life honoring to the Lord. Anywhere that we fall short in that, like we pursue, I mean like, yeah, we're not going to be perfect, but anywhere that we're consistently failing, there's a pretty good chance that somewhere inside of us, we might not even be aware of it, there's a lie that we're believing. Because whenever we look at the word belief in Scripture, it's not this, this intellectual agreement that, hey, this makes sense logically, so I believe it. When Scripture, when you believe something, you live it out. That's what belief means. When Jesus says, believe in me, it means live it out. Right? Your actions reflect your belief system. So if our actions are violating a portion of Scripture, there's something we're believing that's not in line with Scripture. We might not even know it. So there's an internal lie that we have. It might be something like, well, I'm not worthy to be free of the alcohol. I'm not worthy to be free of my anger, right? I'm not worthy to be free. Pick your vice, right? I'm not worthy to be free. But the scripture says we are worthy because God has declared us worthy. And so there's this point where we have to come to terms with we're believing a lie. What do we do with that? Do we hold on to that lie? Or do we renounce the claim of that lie on our lives and walk into the freedom? That we renounce the shame and we walk into freedom? <clears throat> That's the question. Because our identity is really tied up into all the things we believe. You know, and, and you talk about a belief system, right? Everything in our minds. It's like a big wad of rubber bands that are tied together. You can't really just pinpoint one. It's all kind of meshed together, and only the Holy Spirit can start pinpointing those things that really need to come out. So when Paul says, we have renounced the shameful things, and by doing that, we are free to pursue and proclaim the truths of God openly. He's come to, do, to terms with that. I mean, like, most likely, like, Paul talks about this thorn that's tracked him throughout most of his life. Like, there's something in Paul's old life where he thought he was doing God a favor by executing Christians. Like, that's how extreme he was. And he came to terms with some of the lies that he'd been believing. And he became free. He renounced those things. And now he is free to share the gospel. What does he end up doing? Writing two-thirds of the New Testament and affecting most of the Mediterranean world for the gospel, where most of the other 11 disciples ended up just kind of staying in Jerusalem, Asia Minor. Legend has it that Thomas made it over to India. But they all kind of stayed concentrated. Paul's gone all over the place. Spain, Rome, North Africa, Carthage. You know, he's like, bam, bam, bam. He's all over the place because he got free. He renounced those lies. So now he's telling the Corinthians, you renounce those lies, you renounce those shames, and you'll be free and you'll be alive. <clears throat> so he says we renounce those things. And then he goes on to say that the truth brings the light of God, right? And that light of God brings freedom. And when you have freedom, there can't be shame. <clears throat> and so he's saying like there's this freedom to be had. So that tells us, just, just in this one cluster of verses here, that when we come to terms with something, there is a very important part of verbally renouncing something before it takes hold or before we can be free. <clears throat> um, I, can, I can share my own testimony of this. Uh, years ago, probably in the early aughts, wow, early aughts, 
that I was driving down the road and I was listening to this um, like inner healing conference on tape, um, which I actually had the good pleasure to go to in person a few times, the Leanne Payne conference. And they were talking about people who struggled with um, like lust and things like that. Because every young guy has some sort of a lust thing, right? And I thought, like, oh, man, I'm, we all think we're in the depths of it. And, and to come to find out, a lot of it's not as bad as we think it is. But one of the things that she, she hit whenever she was talking about this was this idea of renouncing, like, a demonic claim on that. Because if somebody struggles with lust, what's happening is they're believing a lie about sexuality that's not true. Because they believe that lie, they act out things that cause shame. Once that like clicked in my mind, I was like, you do the renunciation, right? You verbally renounce the claim of what, whatever, lust on my life, claim of, if maybe it's pornography, renounce the claim so that you are drawing a line in the sand saying, whatever cognizant enemy is pushing this on me, you don't have a claim anymore. Uh, we talk about baptism Baptism is a, a drawing a line in the sand, saying, I am now aligned with Jesus. I am not aligned with the devil. And I'll probably keep coming back to this. In the olden days, whenever you got baptized, if you go to the liturgical churches, they still have this, they will ask you, have you renounced Satan and his followers and their pomp and circumstances? And you have to say, yes, I renounce them. Because now you're changing sides. Like you're leaving the enemy's camp and you're getting into God's camp. Same thing with these renunciations. There might be something in your life that, that you didn't even know they had a claim on, and you can say, I renounce that. So verbally, you renounce that. Once, once it's made aware. Then the next part is huh, the famous word in the Bible, repent. Right? All street preachers, always repent. And it probably took me 15 years to realize that repent wasn't really meaning what I thought it meant. It's like, Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride. That word you use, I do not think it means what you think it means. So, way back in the Greek, the word is metanoiete. You know, that's a freebie. That's for fun. What it really means is change your mind. You know? It's, it's, it's essentially, the, the meaning of that word is no different from you get in your car and you're like, all right, I'm going to go to Taco Bell. And you get halfway there, you're like, no, I'm going to go to Wendy's. That's what it means. Change your mind. So when Jesus says, repent and believe in me, that means change your mind and then start following me with your actions. That's all it really means. It, there's, there's nothing really dramatic about it. It's a change of mind. It's a change of belief system, right? So we renounce the claim the enemy might have on us, and then we repent, which means we change our mind. So I don't think, like, in, in my mind, you guys can disagree with me, that's fine. Because this isn't, this isn't heaven or hell, this is just an opinion. In my mind, I don't think there's ever a need for me to say a prayer, I repent of this. Because it's not a declaration, it's a changing of the way you think. I mean, like, you can share a testimony, but when I change my mind, I, I don't just wake up and go, oh, Shannon, I just changed my mind about this. Now, I usually change my mind, and it affects my beliefs, and a little bit later on down the road, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I changed my mind about that. That's my opinion. Take it or leave it. It's free. So you, you renounce. There definitely is a verbal thing about renouncing any claim or any lies that we're believing. And then we change the way we think. Now, one part 
it's a one and done deal, right? We, we say it, I renounce. It's another thing to change your mental patterns. And that's the hard part. It's because we've already, if we say we've struggled with something for 20 years, we have to change 20 years of mental patterns to affect that. Now, it can be done in the flesh, right? Just on our own. It's extremely difficult. However, if we're believing in Jesus, if the Lord resides inside of us, we've got the Holy Spirit to enact that more powerfully. And so when the Holy Spirit is there and we do this repent, he can help keep us in check whenever we start reverting back to the old mental pattern and be like, hey, 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 hey. You said you changed that. All right. So I'm going to start changing, start rethinking the way my mental patterns work. <clears throat> it's kind of like when you drive a car down a dirt road a thousand times, it starts creating ruts in that dirt road. And that's your mental pattern. And it's a lot more challenging to try to go a little bit off center, right, to get a new mental pattern. Because anytime you hit a bump, you might slide back into it, right? So it takes more effort on the front end and start, you start getting those grooves set in your, in your mindset. So there's repentance, there's renunciation. And then Paul, you know, he talks about what they're doing. He's adamant about not benefiting from preaching. So he doesn't take wages from the Corinthians for this because he wants to be able to not burden them at all so that nothing can be spoken against his character. Because at this point, you've got all these other people claiming to be Christians, these super apostles, and they're just burdening the people with financial obligations and things like that. Oh, that sounds familiar. Give a tithe of your entire check to the church as a means of faith. How are you going to pay the bills? I'm like, I know, I'm not, I, I'm not doing that. I, I've got bills. You know, <laughs> like there's a, there's a practical thing, and there's a reason that like 10% kind of became the standard because God's not a burdensome God. You know, when Jesus says, come to me, he says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we're going to look at that here in a minute. <clears throat> but Paul's saying, like, I'm not going to put a burden on you guys because I want this to be free. But he says that those that are perishing can't see the truth. They can't see the light because the God of this world, a.k.a. Satan and his divine beings, have blinded them. They can't see the openness and the freedom of the gospel because they're bound by the deception. There's a, there's a lie that people believe that binds them from understanding the truth and the freedom from the gospel. <clears throat> they can view Christianity... I've come across this a lot. Viewing Christianity as the binding thing, as the restricting thing, as the enslavement, right? The Christianity, religion, right? Religion is just the opiate of the masses, to, to quote Karl Marx. Or religion is just a tool from the, from the controllers to be controlling the populace. And it's basically, it's a gaslighting because... And why is it a gaslight? Because that's actually what they're doing. They're trying to shame people from believing in Christianity to receiving the freedom to being bound by the ways of the world and saying, you're free to be bound by your alcohol. You're free to be bound by your lust. You're free to be bound by your political ideology. So I'm free to be bound by something so that I'm no longer free. Okay. Makes sense. 
<clears throat> so that's one sense, is that there's this belief system that Christianity is the enslavement, so I need to be free from that. So there's a deception. There's the other deception on the other side that says, like, I, I respect the, the Christian walk. I respect the Christian virtue. I could never do it. So there's this belief system that I'm not worthy. Like, like I agree with it. I think it's good and it's true. It's not for me. I could never do that. Well, of course not. Nobody can. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. He's the one that empowers us for this. So, you know, take your pick. Choose your lie, right? <clears throat> so we either believe we're not worthy or that somebody's got these ulterior motives to keep us bound in religion so that we can't be free. And then that leads us into the freedom itself, right? The freedom comes from the gospel. Paul quotes Genesis 1. He says, let the light shine out of the darkness. So we can look at humanity. When I look at the news, I try not to because I just get so frustrated. I'd say in the last four or five years, I've seen a lot of darkness displayed. Like, a lot of negativity, a lot of division, a lot of uncooperation, everything that goes against the idea of unity <laughs> is being lived out. So I would say humanity is in a pretty darkened state. God calls the redeemed to let his light shine through their hearts. What is that light? It's the knowledge of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the light, right? And the darkness flees from the light. So those who follow Jesus have a calling to live the truth of the gospel, right? To believe with action, to live the truth of the gospel. And that light is going to shine into the dark world. In a spiritual sense, what we're doing is we're partnering with Jesus that his light shines out of us into the darkness of the world. And when the light shines in the darkness, the God of darkness must flee. That's the, the basic thing, you know. Got a dark room, turn on a flashlight, no darkness, right? Hey, it works. But it's all about God shining his light to conquer the enemy and to reclaim the earth as his inheritance. So Paul says that we're the vessels. We're, we're jars of clay, right? And God shines his light through the jars of clay into the world. Believe it or not, if God wanted to, he could just be, and just save everybody. That's not the way he's chosen. He's chosen to use human instruments to partner with him in this. And that's why we're the church, is we are human instruments partnering with God to bring the light into this world. And it's not on our own strength. It's on God. So as we walk this light, right, as we walk with the Lord, we're going to encounter difficulties. We're going to encounter opposition from the God of this world. We're going to encounter opposition from his human agents. We're going to encounter oppositions from lies that we believe. Just living life, with or without Jesus, it's a pretty clear fact of the matter. We're going to face trials, and we're going to face difficulties. It's going to happen. It's a part of life. However, when we're with God the outcome is different, and our perspective is different. Paul says that they were crushed, but not, um, pressed, but not crushed, perplexed, not, dis, not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, 
struck down but not destroyed. Everybody's going to face trials and difficulties. From loss of our finances to loss of loved ones. Like, you guys just lost Wayne, an incredible man. And God has got a plan for that. And there's a lot of comfort knowing that he loved God and that things are going to be better. We have bodily ailments. I turned 44 yesterday, right? You know what I woke up to? A sore elbow and a, and a sore shoulder. Like, welcome to your 40s, right? <laughs> it happens, right? We have internal challenges. We have mental challenges. We have external But because we are baptized, Paul says we're baptized into Jesus' death. And that means we can lay things at his feet. I can lay this bum shoulder at the feet of Jesus. I can lay my finances at the feet of Jesus. Now, does that mean that we, we just ignore sad feelings and ignore the sense of loss? No. Scripture says, though the morning may last through the night, joy comes in the morning. Right? We can still mourn our losses. We can still feel the depth of that. We can acknowledge that things hurt us. And that's healthy. That's part of being human, is acknowledging the full range of emotions that God has given us. But as Christians, we also remember death and resurrection is an integral part of the spiritual life. Now, we talk about death and resurrection. Jesus died. He was resurrected so that when we die, when we follow the Lord, we're going to be resurrected. That's the big opus, right? That's the big thing, is the resurrection from the dead. <clears throat> in the Old Testament, you might get these weird things. If you've ever read anything in the Old Testament, they, they do some weird things. Like, I think it was Ezekiel. God told him to eat his bread cooked over the dung of cows. It's supposed to be humans first. And he's like, oh, that's just too disgusting. So he's like, okay, you can use cow's dung. Right? We're thinking like, ooh, right? Um, or to lay on their side, sleep for 40 days on one side, right? And then for 20 days on the other side. And it just doesn't make sense in our culture. Like, what in the world is going on? There's a technical term for that. It's called a symbolic prophecy or an enacted prophecy. So they're acting out a symbol of a prophecy that God has given. Now we're going to take that, this symbolic prophecy, and we're going to put it into our lives today. We face a difficulty. We face a trial. The wise Christian, because sometimes we don't always act in wisdom, and I'm just as much of a fool as I am wise sometimes, the wise Christian will come to a, a, a difficult thing, and the first thing they do is pray about it, right? What do they do? They put that at the feet of Jesus for him to give wisdom on. They put it at the feet of Jesus for him to move on. I would call that a symbolic act, a symbolic prophecy. Because what we're doing, say, say okay, say I'm like, all right, Lord, I need better finances because ends aren't getting bent, right? That's, that's a very real, big reality in a lot of lives today. What do I do? I put that at the feet of Jesus. What does that mean? That means I am sacrificing my claim, my right to my income. I'm sacrificing at the foot of the cross. So what, what, does that, what is the expectation in this life, death, resurrection process? What happens when I put it at the feet of the cross? 
God resurrects it in a different form. God will bring the provision. He will bring resurrection to anything that we put at the foot of the cross. It might not be the same way we're thinking about it. It might not be the, the exact same method. And he'll bring some sort of a resurrection. I can lay down my physical ailments. Some sort of resurrection is going to happen. I can lay down my family, family difficulties. God's going to bring some sort of a resurrection. In our lives, we learn to trust the Lord by putting important things in his hands, saying, I don't have a right to that. It's yours, Lord. When I say everything is Jesus, right? Everything belongs to the Lord. It's my rights. I'm giving my rights to the Lord. I can have a right to be unforgiving. I can hold on to that right. The scripture is very clear. Yeah, you got that right. And if you hold on to that right to be unforgiving, you're not going to receive forgiveness from the Heavenly Father. You have to give it up. You have to give up the rights to receive the resurrection. You have to sacrifice before anything can be resurrected. And that's the beauty of the gospel. There's nothing that we sacrifice, nothing that we sacrifice to the Lord that he won't either return, fill the void, or bring a resurrection in some more glorious way. No matter what. It could be physical death, could be our ailments, could be our family, could be our finances, could be something that we're struggling with. We sacrifice, God brings resurrection. We learn these symbolic prophecies, this symbolic act, as a means of learning obedience, like Jesus learned obedience to the point of death, right? We're letting these things die off on the cross for a resurrection so that we've got a pretty good track record to understand when we physically die, we're going to experience the resurrection of Jesus because his track record has been so good throughout all of these areas that we've sacrificed. Like I said, it's not like for like, but the Lord brings glorious resurrection. Ultimately, verse 14 says, the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will raise us with Jesus present us with you to himself. We're resurrected. The things we sacrifice are resurrected. And he goes on to say, the things we see are temporary. The things we don't see are eternal. So if we sacrifice the temporary, he will resurrect the eternal. Right? Riches from heaven. Finances, provision. Emotional stability from heaven. Right? Our emotions set the right way. Truth. Right? We sacrifice our lies. Truth is resurrected. Those testimonies are part of God's plan to not just keep us in the covenant, but as we walk that out, we let that light shine to others to bring them into the covenant as well. And that's that whole jars of clay thing. Our light shines. People say, I want that light. I want that resurrection. Boom. Gospel goes. It spreads. So he says, all the trials we face, all the difficulties we face, are momentary light afflictions. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, Paul was beaten with a whip how many times? He's like, it's nothing. It's nothing compared to the glories that God has stored up for us. All of our trials, all the things we sacrifice, all the things we put on the altar are things that when we put it there, God will resurrect it in a glorious form. And he says that all of these momentary light afflictions produce an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. 
And a little, little microcosmic example. I mean, this is a really small example. Sometimes I'll ask the kids to go out and do yard work with me, right? And they'll pick up like 10 sticks and put them in the bin. You know, I'm clearly doing the brunt of the work. And then at the end of the, the thing, what do I do? I'll give them some coins. Not nearly, right, in proportionate to the work that they did, because they did very little. Usually they get distracted and go play, right? But they helped. So what do I do? I reward them with some coins. Now, if it was like a penny for each stick that they picked up, they might get like a dime. What do I give them? I'll give them like 50 cents, right? Much bigger in proportion. And that's kind of how God is with us. He's like, like, you put this thing down. It looks big to you, right? It looked like a big task for the kids. It looks big for you. You lay it down. And I'll give you a big reward for it. I'll give you a big blessing for it. And that's, that's where I think we, we need to, Scripture says we, we come, to the, come to God as children, right? With that, that earnest expectation. Like knowing that like, it looks like a lot to me. It's nothing to, to God but he's going to reward us disproportionately better than what we've put into it. That's how this relationship works. So the weight of glory, understanding this, makes the hardest trials seem more like a mere inconvenience than it is like a major trial because we know God is doing a work. All right. So I'm going to jump to uh, the conclusion because I promised we'd have some time for prophecy. So here's our basic to-dos. We have a prevailing problem of shame. That was our first point. Things will keep us bound. We can renounce the shame. Once it comes to our attention, and that's why it's really good to resound David's prayer in the Psalms, search my heart, O God. Because sometimes there are things that we don't even know about ourselves, that only the Holy Spirit knows. And to honestly go to our prayer closet and say, search my heart, Lord, he can bring up things that need to be dealt with. That's the whole point of inner healing. Like, it's not some hoodoo, voodoo session where, you know, I mean, like, we, we, it sounds like it's some, like, mystical things, inner healing session. All it is is a couple of believers getting together and praying, all right, Lord, what do you want to bring up that needs to be dealt with? That's all it is. It's, it's a prayer meeting asking the Holy Spirit to bring something up. And when it comes up, it's a guided prayer. Okay, this came up. Are you, are you willing to renounce it? Yeah, let's renounce it. Are you willing to let the Holy Spirit fill that emptiness? Yes, let's let the Holy Spirit fill that emptiness. And like, then ask the Lord, hey, do you have a truth that you want to speak in that area? Yes. So the Holy Spirit speaks. That's all it is. There's no magic out of it whatsoever. It's just a conversation with the Lord. And when we talk about inner healing, people are like, oh, you're getting into that hoodoo stuff. That's not. It's not. Let's just knock that off right at the base right there. It's just prayer. That's all it really is. So we renounce. We ask the Lord to bring something to light. We renounce it. Freedom, right? The the freedom gets declared during that. And then our partnering with the Lord is putting the effort into changing our mental patterns. Like there's always something for us to do. And that's all it is. Then the freedom comes. We're called to be living sacrifices, which means this is going to happen over and over and over again. We're going to hit issues. It's going to happen. We're going to hit more issues. It's going to happen. What do we do? Back to the cross. Back to renouncing. Back to repentance. Back to changing the mental patterns. Rinse, lather, and repeat, like the shampoo, right? 
we know when we sacrifice, God's going to bring a resurrection. It doesn't matter what it is. Finances, challenges, physical body. Resurrection's coming. When we walk in the Lord, resurrection's coming. The goal is to maintain the relationship with God and share our experiences so that we grow in our knowledge of who God is and that we can share that testimony with others so that they can get an idea of who God is and be a part of that as well. So we'll endure sacrifices, challenges, difficulties in our natural state because God's going to bring a disproportionate amount of blessing and resurrection to it because God is good and God is faithful like that. So that's the end of the message. For anybody that maybe listened on the podcast or, or whoever hears this doesn't know me, doesn't know Jesus, here's an opportunity to get to know him. If you're in company and you don't want to say things out loud, it's all right, God knows your thoughts. All you have to do is even think these thoughts along with me. Jesus, I've heard something interesting, and I'm interested. I want to know more. Will you show yourself to me if you're real? And if so, let me know. And that's it. And then you just expect God to talk to you because he's all about talking to us. We just have to open our ears. So if you're listening on the podcast, on the Zoom, and you thought that thought and you prayed that, then if you have questions, you can get a hold of a Christian that you might know and ask more questions. If you don't know anybody, you can always get a hold of us at the church at uh, info at tgpchicago.org. Info at tgpchicago.org. And one of our ministers would be glad to reach out and uh, get a hold of you. So with that, I'm going to wrap us up in prayer, and our worship leaders can close us. Actually, we got prophecy. So I'm going to close up in prayer, and then we're going to do prophecy. So, sorry, <laughs> told you, I keep forgetting. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the promise of resurrection. And so, Lord, I pray that your word goes forth in this. Anything from here today that's from you, let it be planted deep in our hearts. And anything that's not from you, let it fall by the wayside. So Holy Spirit, you do your work as only you know how. And let us know a little bit more about you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello again, this is Pastor Todd. I pray the Lord uses my message today to strengthen your walk with God. If you are blessed by this message and would like to support the ministry of the Gathering Place financially, I encourage you to use our online giving portal at tgpchicago.org. The portal uses PayPal's secure site so none of your information is compromised. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. God bless you and have a great week.